With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Wednesday morning means it's time for another legal hub. Only a couple to go before we're done for the year. I want to welcome back Nick Kearney and Katie Ashby Coppins. Hi, guys. Good to see you again. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, how do we top the last two? <laughs> yeah, well, I think, um, you know, um, look, from from Tudor Clee onwards, his appearance on the show three or four weeks ago, wow. I think we've had a uh, had a good three or four weeks. And it's I think hopefully, you know, uh, next couple and certainly into next year, it's only going to get better. Okay, you're here for a bit of a, a limited time here this morning, Nick, so you've, you've got to bail out. Um, we've got a few minutes with you, but uh, listeners don't be surprised when, when Nick says he's on his way before the actual end of the show. So let's get into let's, – uh, let's start with the, what, the easy stuff first and then work up to it. I don't know how you want to describe it. But um, this Fonterra story and um, – sorry, a worker has – um, scored a what a thirty k win is that really what yeah look and, and this is only from uh, mainstream media I've, I've not read the court judgment I think it was in the mainstream media yesterday uh, a worker at Fonterra was dismissed for uh, failure this is going back a couple of years failure to wear a a mask uh, according to the Fonterra uh, health and safety protocols even though even though she um, provided a medical exemption. And so, you know, she, um, Fonterra then went to her and said, okay, you've got an exemption. Can you wear uh, a plastic face covering? And she said, yes, I could probably do that. Um, except what they then realised as well was that she, this person um, has got, given a name of, of Smythe, uh, forget her first name, but she she was unvaccinated, Paul, committed that terrible sin oh. of... Oh, of deciding it was a, deserved it was a, everything she got then. Nick. Decided it was, <laughs> you know, sticking to her personal uh, choice and beliefs of deciding not to be vaccinated. So they decided because of that, in fact, her mask exemption uh, and the other plastic face covering uh, weren't valid because they were only really valid options for people who uh, were vaccinated. Uh, and oh, so, I see. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And so they offered her, you know, uh, leave. With it. Le- le- you can work at home on extended leave until you... Well, she's a canteen worker. Well, she'd been with Fonterra 19 years. She was a canteen supervisor. Oh, okay. Uh, e- e- right. Even, even well, even greater. Like, she's not just a... She was a canteen supervisor down in Invercargill and been with Fonterra for 19 years. Uh, so th- this is, you know, like... Um, you can have, you know, you can have one position, I suppose, for someone who's joined you a few months ago and doesn't really, you don't really have an attachment to if that's the way to put it. But an employee who has been with uh, an, an organisation for almost 20 years and and you treat her in, in this manner, I, I, I just I just find it remarkable to be. I mean, uh, you, you know, you should, loyalty, I suppose, these days is a, uh, is a thing that is not, Obviously, highly regarded in a lot of circumstances or places, right? This girl, this lady, incredibly loyal to to Fonterra uh, for nineteen years. Um, but look, they 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 dismissed her. They did not dismiss her um, actually uh, for um, um, uh, failing to, you know, to, to or refusal to to wear a mask. 
um, uh, they, they did say initially and invited her to a meeting saying that, well, you know, your refusal to wear a mask could amount to serious misconduct. So please come to an employment meeting. Yeah, and so actually at the meeting, the managers, uh, well, the, the, the employers concerned, uh, concerns um, changed to concerns about her being unable to fulfil her employment duties um, properly and adequately uh, because she couldn't she couldn't wear a mask and wasn't vaccinated. So, so you know, it, it wasn't so much serious misconduct as that she just wasn't now able to be an employee of the organisation because, you know, her, her stance didn't fit with... Uh, with what uh, Fonterra wanted in terms of their policies and bits and pieces like that, which so, were, which was based on nothing. This is the thing. Um, well, that, well that, oh, ex- ex- exactly. So, um, so their distancing, yeah. their masking, it, it it was all, you know, BS. So, well, well, of, well, well, of course, uh, and not, not not the masks were effective anyway. You know, as bad as. So the mask didn't do here, as we all know, the mask didn't do um, anything for anybody. But anyway. Um, yeah, well, she look. She took she took uh, Fonterra to the ERA and has been awarded uh, thirty thousand dollars in compensation, lost wages, and and superannuation, other payments and costs and bits and pieces. So, look, I mean, we've had these before. We had the lady at the Blind Institute, you know. Um, uh, we had the, uh, the the pilot from England, you know, with the death breath, as I called it. So, um, it, it look, it's one thing to actually be able to to say, yes, I, I took my employer to the ERA and I won, and isn't that magnificent? But it's another thing for this person to be without a job now, perhaps, you know, for for a job that she has held for 19 years down down in Invercargill. And, and Invercargill is not exactly, you know, um, a, a town that's booming with, I would say, potential employment opportunities. So, uh, yes, you might have some money in the bank, but she's now without a job. And for as you say, Paul, for, you know, really for what reason? Wouldn't you want to fire now the guy or whoever was responsible for dismissing her? Well, look, that's a firing offence, isn't it? Yeah, and and, and that, look, uh, does a manager get you know? Well, I'd say fired. You can only really be fired for serious misconduct, you know, um, in employment. Uh, on, well, I would call the, that serious on, on the misconduct. Well, he's just failed to follow a proper procedure. I mean, I'd say he took legal advice. The legal advice said do this. He did that. Didn't work out. I think if uh, if senior manager of the organisations were going to get uh, fired for um, you know. Uh, Losses that they cause a company of this nature like this, you'd find. Well, no, treating of... people like that. Well, yeah, I mean, um... be gone in my book. Yeah, look, yeah, look, and, and actually, you know what? If I was this man or the woman's or whoever it was supervisor, uh, I'd, I'd be thinking very seriously too. But if you're going to treat people like that in my organisation, you can you can uh, think twice about coming to work tomorrow. You know, I I would I would take the same view, but. Yeah, mm. But I, I regard loyalty quite important. I don't think. No, no, totally important. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Can Most I just jump in there? It's terrible yeah. for the woman. I, yeah. Can I just jump in there? I think this is important that this was a, a, a down, a, a topward down um, requirement. I don't, I wouldn't suspect that this um, person in HR in Invercargill or wherever else they were um, in the world running uh, Fonterra's department would at all be involved. Uh, sorry, w- would it be making that decision on? their own. The Fonterra risk assessment that was produced at the time that they endeavoured to bring in the uh, vaccine requirement was uh, an atrocious piece of paper uh, for an organisation that is a global organisation that specialises in dairy, which is you know food-based, um, but also farm-to-table. 
uh, and has to deal with a lot of viruses and bacteria all the time. The document that they produced to justify the need to vaccinate so many people that worked for them, um, you know, was woeful. So it's uh, the, the whole organisation probably needs to uh, go through a real shake-up if that's what it's going to make decisions based on. Yeah, because um, the point you just made is that they should be vaccinating and masking and having people walking walking around in PPE suits and, and space suits on a regular basis because of the exposure to all that stuff in their everyday work, let alone this. Correct, and they're experts in it. And yet yeah. they, they rolled out com- yeah right well they rolled out complete nonsense when it came to you know for an organization that should know better it's not that you were dealing with one that was just getting pressure from a government but you know was a printer company this comes up all the time the irrationality of of all of this well that's a great example yeah, yeah and, and, and look in their defense if I can um, mount an argument in their defense I mean I was you know, a, a fair, I am, still am, a fairly senior level in my position as a lawyer in my law firm, and I you know, supervise people, and we had to, uh, you know, try and react as as managers, leaders, or whatever. Uh, I'm not an employer but uh, anymore, but, you know, still uh, manage a team of 10 people, 9 people, whatever. We had to react to what the government was putting forward, and, it, and for a period of... Yeah, certainly 18 months, maybe a bit longer. It was, I can say, it was utterly shambolic. Uh, no, you couldn't make head nor tails of, of what the rules were at any particular time. They changed every week. Then Ardern, you know, would or, or Hipkins or somebody or um, Dr. Bloomfield would stand at the podium and make some other regulations saying this was now what we're doing. That wasn't, that didn't go through Parliament. No one kind of knew, wasn't there even a regulation? It was kind of, well, is this, is this law? Is it not? Now what do we do? We've got to change the work policies based on that or not. And then the, in terms of work policies, there was a massive clash between employment law, you know, human rights law, Bill of Rights and all that sort of stuff. So it was very difficult to get um, any consistency, get your head around exactly what the hell was going on uh, and how you could actually put policies in place that, you know, made sense and um, and were I, I even, I suppose, uh, you know, even, even I, I could use the word uh, lawful or reasonable. It was very difficult to do that. And, and, and I don't – look, Fonterra is a massive organisation, probably got – um, you know, in fact, certainly has got capacity up the wazoo to be able to adjust to these sorts of things. You know, my business, our firm is staff just over 30, so not quite as uh, not quite as big and easy to adapt. But anyway, my, I, I just make the point that it was a shambolic time and, and, and government can be uh, take, take all the blame for that, to be honest. Right. Anything more to say about this case before we move on? No, I think we can move on. I could go on forever. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Buy the lot of them. <laughs> okay. Um, the wording of an injunction. Mm. This one's a good one because it relates to the injunction surrounding the very young information uh, that's come from the Ministry of Health, uh, which the Ministry have not, Health have not, or sorry, Health New Zealand have not denied that the information is untrue. Just that the information and databases be used to spread vaccine misinformation. So, um, really interesting. Uh, at the time, I think we recorded last week. I just received the um, injunction orders, having 
uh, had someone chase them up for us for quite some time. Um, the time frame being was the injunction was issued by uh, the Employment Relations Authority on the first of Friday, the first of uh, December. It was done ex parte, which means no notice to any of the other parties. So no notice to Barry uh, and to other uh, people that were involved uh, in the expose. Uh, and then uh, hassling um, them for this information, the Employment Relations Authority refused to provide the orders that were issued, uh, citing that they would be released within three business days, being under their ordinary rules. And we finally got them, I think it was late Tuesday, uh, early Wednesday morning uh, when we discussed them. That's right. And I remember you get them coming coming sort of real time to you. Yeah, yeah, it, it virtually was. And then we've got a situation where we've now got these orders that don't just pertain to um, uh, Mr. Young, uh, I presume, because uh, they're also anonymised, uh, but also to two other people. But then, interestingly, the orders pertain to a fourth group of respondents, which are called unknown respondents. Uh, oh. Now, that is an unidentified group of people to which the order now seemingly pertains. Um, and we've had a lot of uh, action over the last couple of days where um, websites, sorry, web provi service providers had actually taken down people's information because they had shared this data based on this um injunction order that was issued by the Employment Relations Authority. And so I just want to talk to people about what the wording is and what the extent of it is, uh, and then also just identify for them and have Nick you know, chat with us about the fact that we've got a situation where there is an unknown respondent to which this order pertains. Um, and this is quite incredible because they haven't identified it. One of the key things that you do in court cases is you have to have an identifiable identifiable parties and an unknown respondent is not identifiable and certainly not by the judgment and then you've got a judgment that they refused to deliver that could pertain to people that didn't know that it was pertaining to like it's it's atrocious behavior rather than issuing non-publication orders which they had no power to grant the authority should be ensuring that the order of the injunction was published uh in uh, to ensure that people had it readily available, if not from their website and newspapers and things like that. Um, instead, they took the injunction order and gave it to whoever they gave it to in the um, IT department of the government and issued it to all of these service providers saying, you have to shut down this service and this service and this service of this person because they shared um, our confidential information. Now, it's also important to note that there is two types of the information, there's the information that came from Barry's database, but then there was essentially an anonymized, well, an anonymized set of the data, which essentially became a separate data set entirely uh, to the database uh, that Barry had made. So the orders that um, could pertain to anybody at the moment, we don't know who they could be, is any unknown respondents are ordered to permanently delete and not publish the database, so that's presumably Barry's database, the information or any other unlawfully obtained information, including but not limited to extracts referred to at the following URLs. Now, I can't tell you what those URLs are because they're redacted. Uh, and so we've got this 
incredible situation that we've got this sneaky order obtained, I think illegally, um, and I certainly don't believe that the Employment Relations Authority has the jurisdiction to uh, order this, make this order, because it doesn't pertain to the employment relationship any longer when it goes outside of the employment relationship. Uh, and we've got a situation where people um, could be breaching this order that has been made and, and not made publicly available without knowing that they are because they're not named. Well, you, you don't know if you you don't know if you're a respondent. So, so does does um does unknown mean everybody on the planet? Well, it's yes, yeah, it, it, correct, and it's 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 worded with a capital U and a capital R. So it's it's given a like almost a definition um, of it, but the but other they're not thing, defined. but they're not defined. Not defined anywhere. Not defined anywhere. That the other part of it, it says uh, it, these people cannot publish the information capital Y, which I presume is the information relating to the proceedings that Barry had. Um, but then it goes on to say, or any other unlawfully obtained information. So there's more. Well, well, what what sort of unlawfully um, ob- obtained information in relation to what? In relation to this case, in relation to I got some unlawfully uh, obtained information to do with something completely irrelevant to to this topic. Can I not publish? I mean, uh, assuming that it, you know, I mean, that that's a nonsense. I what I've just said because obviously the reference to any other unlawfully obtained information has to relate to the matter before the Employment Relations Authority, but that's. That inf- that um, other unlawfully obtained information is not subject to these proceedings. You see, only the information capital I is. So what yeah. what the ERA has said is that oh goodness, if, if anyone else at any stage uh, received something else that might be linked to this, you can't publish that either. What about and, talking about it? Well, 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 I don't know what they're talking about. It, it's uh, no, it's, no, but we talk about this all the time, and and you know, I've had Steve Kirsch on. He's gone through. You know, numbers from this, obviously originally from this data, is, is, that, is he an unknown? I would if say he's possibly one of the known, and yeah. you're an unknown. You're an oh, unknown. okay. I'm an yeah. unknown. And so are the listeners. So yeah. are the lips, listeners. And anyone who chooses to you know, uh, um, share the, the information that they learnt on, on the radio station. It's basically an unidentified person at, at the time that this order was issued. Un- unidentified to the ERA Employment Relations Authority, they didn't know they existed. <laughs> so how I mean, come? Just, so just, how come this has been written in this way? What does it tell us? Well, I, I can just go just back to orders. Um, orders that the courts grants are presented to them by lawyers. So uh, once the um, judgment comes out and the decision is made, the court then relies on the lawyer to say, well, thank you for the judgment. Um, here's the draft order that I would like you to to give, to the court to give. Uh, and the court seals the order provided by the, by, by the lawyer and puts a stamp on it. So the court doesn't draft the order itself. Uh, when you make the application in any court case and, and you apply for a court order, you generally attach a draft copy of the order that you want to your application so the court and the judge can look at it and say, oh, okay, yeah, that looks okay. I can I can grant that. But is that within the realm of these proceedings? And the other lawyer, you know, gets a chance to comment on it. No, 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 those those orders aren't applicable or whatever, whatever. So so these orders, these orders came from the ministry. 
Um, no, uh, yes, they did. Rebecca yeah. Rendell of um, Simpson Grierson, who appeared for the ministry. Yeah, there we go. Now, yeah. what's interesting about this is that there's also been a non-production order issued in respect of any of the pleadings. So there have been people that are potentially unknown respondents endeavouring to get copies of the pleadings. And uh, dear Rebecca uh, Rendell uh, from Simpson Grierson is also being extremely coy with providing instructions that that information can be provided to said potential unknown persons. Uh, so, and so here we, we go in this yeah. merry-go-round of yeah. complete nonsense where Rebecca Rendell, uh, of senior lawyer at Simpson Grierson, should uh, be readily across this, has allowed or drafted the orders for Shane Kinley, a newly appointed authority member, not a lawyer, um, who was is, all Is this over the guy that we a, talked about last week? This is a, exactly the guy, um, you know, who, who should have recused himself from even making a decision in this regard, given his involvement with the um, res- WorkSafe's response to COVID um, messaging to those that asked genuine questions. And it doesn't just stop there. Well, okay. Um this um let's go back to something you said just a, a few moments ago. Um, vaccine misinformation. What even is that? It's anything against the government narrative with respect to vaccines. Because, you know, you don't have to like them. Doesn't mean you have you 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 know, you you frog marched into saying that you endorse them. You know. Yeah, I mean we we we've we've had to deal it's with It's not the, the greatest crime in history, you know. Well, I mean, I quite often use the, you know, they've, they've used, they've, they've rolled out the phrase, as we all heard it a long time, safe and effective. And I, I walk around the place all the time and say unsafe and ineffective. Um, well, that's more and, accurate, probably. Yes. And and is that is that deemed to be misinformation? I mean, who knows, you know? I mean, really. Um, uh, Mr. Hadotawa, if that's how you pronounce his name, of course, has spent uh, a year um, studying this and it's got a definition of misinformation. Um, I think you might have had a PhD in it or something, but anyway, he's he's to find what misinformation is. I mean, but um, and that's according to him, of course. Mm. I don't know that those two have a job anymore. No, but but to bandy this thing around vaccine misinformation as if it's some sort of horrible crime that could stop the world. I mean, let's call it for what it is. It's a meaningless thing. Yeah, of course, but it's you know it's what they were that has been used to. But the whole thing is based on. It, it's the same category as anti-vax. You know, the same name. You know, it's, no, it's... The, the go- governments and state servants can never be wrong, Paul, and can never be held to account, as you've seen. So, they cannot be uh, um, seen to be you know wrong with with all the the narrative that's happened the last couple of years. So, so therefore, they have to push out the stuff, facts and misinformation. Um, you know, it's uh, they're right and we're wrong. Yeah, and look, I think in response to this, this is the Ministry of Health messaging. Um, I, you know, they, they've got a new government in place. I don't. It'd be interesting to see how the new government responds to this. Uh, we've got a lot to be seen on this, uh, but I think that people should be aware that this order is out there. I asked Shane it, Jones about that, and he said it was before the courts who couldn't comment. I thought, well, I can see why you'd say that, but that's pretty convenient, mate. Yeah, look, and that's pretty. Mm. Um, yeah, that's pretty incredible. I can see that there is a situation where under uh, Barry's employment agreement, he has taken confidential information. Uh, but look, the cat is well and truly out of the bag. This information has gone around the world three, you know, hundreds of times. There are people commenting it on every platform. 
the injunction is not only effective, it's been <laughs> woefully inadequate. Uh, and it's now for the government to let it go, um, uh, to certainly withdraw the orders with res- as it pertains to unknown respondents uh, that have been given the name of fourth respondents that have not been even defined, identified or even um, alluded to uh, from an authority that can't even give such orders uh, that are well outside its jurisdiction. So uh, I look forward to the person or persons that takes that um, to takes that takes that case uh, to get that order struck out. Okay, Nick has got to go in just a moment. So Nick, before you race out the door and, and leave us, mm. and leave us, um, there's something we need to get to before you go. Oh, yes, I am leaving. I have to race off to a meeting this morning. But uh, look, I'm leaving you in very capable hands with, with Katie there, Paul. But there's just one thing I wanted to raise. Um, and there's an indication from the current government that they want to um, either repeal, get rid of, uh, not, not progress, or um, start all over again uh, with a bill that the previous government put in, the uh, Residential Property Managers Bill. So... We have a situation existed for a long, long time um, here where real estate agents in this country who sell, obviously sell and lease, um, you know, commercial property or residential property um, are regulated. They have trust accounts that are audited because they're handling billions of dollars a year um, in, in well, hundreds of millions at least in, in deposits and other money. Uh, they're regulated. They've got rules to follow and what have you. Except, but property managers, those you know, even those who might have just residential properties under a portfolio that they manage on behalf of landlord clients, uh, complete completely unregulated regime. Don't have to have a trust account. Not audited. No one's you know that got a, a tenant living at a property paying seven hundred dollars a week to a property manager. Me goes into my bank account. Um, I can you know, do do with it what I want. I'm, I'm actually liable to pay you know the landlord their their um, their rent and take my commission. But the money going through my um, my accounts is is not audited. There's no there's no rules around it. There's no rules around my relationship as a property manager with the landlord or the tenant. So it's a very much uh, an unsatisfactory position, and it's been crying out for regulation uh, of some sort for uh, many 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 years. People in the in the property council, uh, the law society, and others have tried to get governments to uh, at least put some form of regulation in place for property managers. Considering also that you know home ownership is on the decrease here, uh, particularly where I am in Auckland, and you know if more people are renting, more people are going to fall um, under the auspices of of property managers. So the previous government wrote a bill. Um, by all accounts, it was a bit onerous uh, and a little bit uh, prohibitive and restrictive and and the like. Um, I haven't read it, but um, you know the Law Society uh, wrote a submission and, and said there needed to be a few changes, but broadly in support with the concept. Uh, but the current government now looks like um, they, they want to get rid of the whole thing completely and they're just worried about added cost to, to tenants as a result of regulation uh, in this manner and... Um, you know, I'm not sure about that, to be honest. Uh, I think the the whole sector has cried out for some sort of regulation. Maybe the maybe the bill that the Labor government put forward is uh, is too onerous and would increase uh, rents and therefore would place in a, a you know unduly harsh burden on tenants. I don't know, but I, I just if anyone has got any um, say in this, I would urge them to contact their local. MP perhaps and say to continue with uh, if there's a bill in front of the select committee at least 
the current government can make draft and make changes to it and and suit it to whatever they think is best, rather than abolish the uh, concept completely. Because I think that would be a huge um, a huge loss if that was the case. All right. Okay. So, um, what can they do if they if they can escape audits and things like that? They can sort of fiddle around with the money, I suppose. Is what, what well, they've, they've got a legal duty to account for the money to their landlord client. So it's yeah, it's not that easy to, I guess, fiddle the books or whatever. But um, you know, in the same way that you know, real estate agent, if a real estate agent behaved in a poor manner, um, advertised something falsely or did something right, wrong, I got you. Yeah. Visit purchaser or vendor, they're liable in front of the authority. A property manager can talk to a tenant like they want, do whatever they want, turn up when they want or whatever, you know, and just be a bit of a an ass. Um, and there's just no regulation around that behaviour at all. There's there's no requirements for any, you know, um, contracts or behavioural co- codes to be put in place between the relationship between tenants and property managers. Uh, most of it falls back on the landlord because if, if there's a complaint by a tenant, um, it'll be against the landlord. Um, you know, and the landlord will probably have a go against the property manager. But it's as I say that they handle uh, they handle a lot of money, a lot of money. Yeah, uh, and it's a, had, gro- it's a growing and it's a growing too. year of business. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, I'll just All leave right. it there for now. Thank you, Nick. Have a All great right. day, and we'll yeah, talk you to too. you again Good next morning. week. Okay. Right. See you guys. Okay. Bye bye. Okay, Katie. Let's um. Let's truck on. So um, circling back, I suppose, um, all this talk of an inquiry. By the way, has that been threatened in any way with what's happening, what's happened in the last few weeks? The ability to carry out a proper inquiry is, or the water's been muddied. I can't hear you. Unmute. Unmute. Uh, no, I think this is the very reason that it needs to be a call for inquiry and it should only go to um, uh, empower those that were seeking it in the first place. Right. Uh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Yep. This data raises serious questions that, uh, uh, you know, I call for the New Zealand, the new New Zealand government to ensure that it is uh, brought to the public's attention. And look, this is people's, while, while this is information and data collected, a lot of this data is from the public sphere anyway so it is uh available um you know barry's just put it all together in in one database but it's not complete there's other data and i think that that a full inquiry needs to be held so that it could be got to the bottom of because they've jumped on it from a great height haven't they Hmm. yeah like like excessively great height it seems look you would you would have well. Let's put this into perspective. They look this is the scared second, to me. It's fear. It's got to be fear, well, isn't it? No, look. It was the second data breach that the Ministry of Health or Health New Zealand has had in the last year. Uh, this time last year, there was the uh, all the coroner's uh, information that was hacked into and stolen. Uh, they there obtained a High Court um, injunction ceasing, you know, use of publication of that. Uh, they've now got another one. You have to be seen to be doing something. Uh, but, you know, what they've done, I believe, is uh, inaccurate or not being done properly. Uh, and But, you know, you have to jump on it. You have to be seen to be doing something. That's yeah, that's. But we know, okay, coroner's information, yeah, that's data and people and names and all of that, but it doesn't have the same consequences, this. Well, it could do. We don't know what data was taken for the coroners. 
Um, and we did have that change in the Coroner's Act um, okay. a year ago, which allowed the coroner to avoid having to investigate any death that was by natural causes. So do you think that was part of the response to that? It could potentially be. I'm not, I wasn't the hacker. I don't know who yeah. hacked it, um, and I don't know that the information's been publicised. Okay, so um, what needs to happen in this inquiry for it to be credible to everyone now who's kind of aware of this? There needs to be some significantly effective questions asked of any um, commission uh, that is charged with investigating uh, COVID response as a whole. Uh, And vaccine needs to be part of it. Uh, Excess cause mortality needs to be a part of it. A fulsome inquiry is what is needed uh, for people to regain trust in in their government, which has been you know, obliterated over the last three years. We're seeing, I think, um, some inquiries in other countries. There's the UK. What's happening in Australia? Oh, so this is a really interesting thing. <laughs> There's a purported inquiry that's said to have been started uh, with responses due and submissions due by the end of this week it only got brought to my attention and you know I'm very active in Australia but this only got brought to my attention over the weekend Um, I'm sure it might have been up for longer but the closing date for submissions is by the end of this week it's been described as um, let me just get exactly the wording uh, as Albanese's separate inquiry It's not related to the Royal Commission. There is a maximum of of three pages, including references, and will not be shared publicly when you've submitted. So it's a behind-closed-doors inquiry. I have to put the words in quote marks that Albanese is running. It's said to be for um, submissions and evidence to the COVID-19 response, it's uh, it's a furphy, I have to say. And What's, what, is, of those what does that mean? <laughs> What's that mean? Uh, so furphy is an apt Australian um, uh, slang word to use here. It's um, a slang for erroneous or improbable story that is claimed to be factual. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think it's very apt for this. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're asking you for submissions, but, they're limited to two pages where you can't realistically effectively say anything over about the last three years. Uh, and invariably what's going to happen is if you write anything longer than three pages, if it's even read in the first instances, the rest of the pages will be ignored. So, uh, and I think you can only submit once. So I was looking at, you know, doing maybe little chapters, but I don't know how I'm going to stay to under three pages um, for each chapter. Uh, so, you know, we will just push ahead and we'll just see what another very ineffective inquiry looks like in the same way as the New Zealand Royal Commission inquiry into COVID response, which was so narrow and compass that it was going to be entirely ineffective and just a complete waste of money. Apparently that's been going since May. Yes, it has been going since May. I think we've talked about it here here on um, before, Uh, but now it's been um, shelved. Yeah. Uh, It was, the information was available there, but it's, there's so much information. It's like 
there's a deluge of information that you're constantly receiving just to keep on on abreast of all of it all the time is 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 tough work so the pattern continues um a constraining a minimizing um a shutting down of of what you would consider would be normal reasonable efforts to get as much information on board to you know inquire into something the same pattern again Yes, look, selective inquiries, they're very common. They say face to the politicians and the you know, people that will never apologise. But we do have a coalition agreement which expressly outlines the scope of the inquiry. And I believe it's broad enough to get uh, some significantly useful uh, and informative terms of reference, which are essentially questions for the inquiry, uh, to ask of the inquiry members to answer those fully so that yeah, we can learn from the mistakes of the last three years and benefit from the things that uh, did work well. What worked well? <laughs> uh, I am not an I'm not a uh, commissioner, so I cannot tell you. I think that they. Um... Oh, look, maybe the ability to work from home, Paul. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> well, we need to know more about that, don't we? Uh, no, look, that's the only thing I can ever come up with being uh, good and effective that it came uh, from the last three years because I wouldn't be able to do what I do now. Well, everything um, seems to me, and well, I knew it at the time, but in hindsight, everything was an epic fail. But okay, it's just me. All yes, right. look, and that's, that's perhaps if a suitable inquiry commission is um, appointed and they ask the right questions they're, and are not in any way... Um, uh, silenced or curtailed from giving their open, honest opinions, then uh, we, we should have a good inquiry if, if what is proposed in the coalition agreement happens. I don't know if we can handle it as a nation, but that's, again, just me. Too many people have got, uh, have, uh, uh, are in, you know, we're all in. Yeah, look, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, we will certainly be doing all we can to ensure that it is a fulsome inquiry and uh, may even be able to talk more about, you know, if there are any absences. Yeah, okay. All right, so that covers that. Now, do you need to make some sort of correction? Look, I do. Um, it's an apology. Uh, no, it's a correction. I have to correct things where um, I have uh, been wrong. And I had mistakenly confused um, uh, Dr. Helen Patissi Harris with uh, Nick, Dr. Nikki Turner last week right uh when we were talking about um the uh information at the time it was uh the database that the click database uh, which was uh created by um nikki's sorry uh, helen patusi harris's uh group the global vaccine data network and I understood that they had received the New Zealand data from public health records and everything about vaccines. And a, a report was promised and the like. I had mistakenly confused um, uh, Dr. Nikki Turner who um, with uh, Dr. Helen Patissi Harris uh, in the basis that um, uh, Dr. Nikki Turner had had a conflict with her, her husband at the time, uh, I think in relation to uh, vaccinating pregnant women um, and the like. So I do apologise yep. for that, and I do wish to seek that correction. But look, it is important just to point out um, that Dr. Patissi Harris uh, is the head of the Global Vaccine Data Network. Um, she's sitting on 
uh, all of the data. She has been at most of the CVTAG meetings. Uh, she's responsible for the Click database, which holds all of this information. And you can see throughout um, the CVTAG meeting minutes and the other meeting minutes that there is a um, reference to opening this Click database to review various uh, adverse reactions uh, suffered by people. And just having heard the number of people that she mentioned that had died and or suffered serious injuries during her interview with a uh, uh, the pl Sean Plunkett, I think, on the platform earlier this week or maybe last, uh, late last, uh, she referred to less than a handful, and I'm talking one hand, um, of serious injuries, yet just in the CVTAG meeting minutes alone that um, uh, uh, Dr. Patissi Harris was at, you know, we're far in excess of the numbers that she was talking to. And the other interesting thing I think I found from that meeting was I think she said that the uh, Guillain-Barr syndrome uh, was not an adverse event that uh, is related to the Pfizer vaccine, uh, yet that again seems to be uh, perhaps misinformation uh, when you refer to MedSafe's own uh, document uh, and it's listed uh, as an ad well, it's actually listed as the first of adverse events of special interest. So uh, it's a shame that uh, more uh, rigorous questioning was not asked. It's a shame that uh, Dr. Patricia Harris hasn't someone produced... someone who's capable of, of doing it, unfortunately. So. Well, it's a shame she hasn't produced the report that she's promised and been paid for. Um, and I suspect that it's a report that she probably can't uh, write. Okay, well, there goes another legal hub. We've got one more, I think, before we're done for the end of the year. So... I wonder how, how we're going to end. <laughs> uh, we'll go out with a bang, Paul. Yeah, yeah, party hats and say, whistles. <laughs> never a dull moment on a Wednesday morning. No, you did right, Katie. Well, thank you for uh, another Legal Hub, and we'll do one more this time Wonderful. next week. Can't wait. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Thank you for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or dislike what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.